We're living in a world and a time where it's really hard to find anybody speaking truth. Believe me, y'all, I ain't lying. A lot of preachers talking faith. A lot of preachers talking love, but they ain't preaching the word of God that's inspired from above. That's because you go to church and pay your tithes. Don't really mean a thing if your heart ain't right. We gotta speak truth to reach the youth. From where we at it, get a word to the old folks too. So get your Bible, pen and pad, round everybody up like mom and dad. Let them know it's time for the podcast. Which one? You got the Mercy, mercy, grace, and peace to you, kingdom people of God. Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast. That's right, Flipping Pages, the podcast, where we're all about rightfully dividing the word of truth to expel all misconceptions of Christianity. And the way we do that, of course, is with biblical truth. I'm your host, Pastor Elliot Williams, and we are finishing up our discussion on the purpose and the call of the local church. On the last episode, we discussed and talked about how the church, biblically speaking, is not a building or a structure, but the church is the ecclesia, those that have been called out, people, a people group that have been called out of sin and darkness back into a right relationship and fellowship with God. And all of that happens because of the Father's will that was carried out by the Son through the power of the Spirit, which is such a beautiful, beautiful scene of the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all working in conjunction to bring about God's ultimate will, which is salvation, healing, and deliverance to those that put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and and dive right back into our discussion. Father, we thank you for this day. This is truly a day that you have made. We thank you for giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and a hope which you've called us to, Lord God. Father, our heart, our endeavor is to know you better than the fullness of all your grace. The Holy Spirit leading God us as we meditate on your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, one of the questions that we raised on the last episode that we didn't get a chance to really discuss was, is the church a hospital? Because so many people have said over the years that the church is like a hospital or the church should be a hospital. And my question is, where did that train of thought come from? Where did that idea come from that the church should be a hospital because so many times we hear things that have been said that have been passed down that we take as gospel we believe is in the bible but a lot of times a lot of stuff is not in the bible it's not even scriptural for example i know we've all heard oh god works in mysterious ways people have been saying that for years but that is nowhere in the bible another one is Where God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. It's not scripture. It's just one of those things that have been passed down. Well, let's explore this one here. Is the church a hospital? And believe it or not, there is scripture that people use 
to back up this statement. And we're gonna dive in it, flip to it, and get to it. So let's do that. Let's flip some pages, y'all. Let's go to Matthew chapter nine. Actually, it's several different passages that talks about, well, there's several different passages that people get this train of thought from. And we are going to see what the word of God actually has to say. We're in Matthew chapter nine, and we're gonna start reading at verse nine. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the word of God. So if you have that version, you can follow along. If not, your version may read a little different. Here we go. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Matthew got up and he followed Jesus. Verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So when Jesus called Matthew and said to follow me, they actually went to Matthew's house. So they are at Matthew's house and there are other folk there, some of, some of Matthew's, probably his co-workers, because they said there was other tax collectors there and other people as well. So he invited people over to his house, some of his co-workers, his buddies, and they all sitting at the table with Jesus and his other disciples, verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. In other words, those who are well, they don't need a doctor, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now let's flip to Mark. Mark chapter two. This is another account of the same story in the book of Mark. Mark chapter two, we're gonna start reading at verse 13. Same story. Then he went out again by the sea and all the multitudes came to him and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Atheus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Verse 15. Now what happened as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many. And they followed him. Verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And there's another account. Let's go to Luke. We're going to Luke chapter five, 
And I'm reading all of these accounts for a reason. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, Levi is the same as Matthew. Matthew and Levi is the same person. It's just like Peter and Cephas was the same person. Sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he left all, arose, and followed him. Verse 29, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And notice verse 31. We read it in Matthew. We read it in Mark. Verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, flip back over to Matthew, because I want to show you something here that he said in Matthew. Now, because we have three different accounts of the same story, but he said something in Matthew that we need to take notice of. We are talking about, is the church a hospital? And these passages that we just read are the passages that people use to try to say that the church should be a hospital. Back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12 said, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's only those who are sick. And what typically happens is we stop right there at verse 12 and say that this proves that the church should be a hospital. And what we do is we look at the pastor of the church, of the local church, as the doctor or the physician who stands in the place of Jesus to minister to all the people, all the congregants, all of those who come into the church as the sin sick in need of a physician or in need of the pastor's help or the in need of the ministry. And this is where we get the idea of the church being a hospital. But we have to keep reading verse 13. Verse 13 says this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Man, Jesus being the son of God, being God in the flesh, the Christ, the Messiah was so full of wisdom. I mean, it's like he knew that we would misinterpret what he was saying. So he told him, go and understand, go and learn what I'm telling you means. He wanted them to understand what he was saying. He didn't want them to misinterpret what he was saying about those who were well and in no need of a physician, about those who were sick, about 
the righteous, about the sinners. Jesus wanted them to understand what he was saying about all of this. He wanted us to clearly understand what he was saying. Remember, the Pharisees were questioning why Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors in that time, <laughs> you can almost say in this time too, that we live in, <laughs> we talk about the RS, boy, and they be on you. You mess with the RS and they be on your head. Trust me. I know. I had some run-ins with them when I was working overseas and all of that, but that's a whole nother story. But Jesus wanted them to understand what he was talking about because he knew that they had a misunderstanding of why he was there. They didn't realize the purpose and the call of his ministry as the son of God, as the Christ, as the Messiah to minister to the world. They didn't, they didn't get it. So he wanted them to fully understand what he was all about. So he told them to go, learn what this means. Take some time to sit and think about, say like, pause, think about what I'm saying so you can understand what it means. Because one thing that is clearly noticeable in all three accounts of this story, in Matthew 9, in Mark chapter 2, and in Luke 5, he never mentions the church. Jesus never mentions the church in any of these passages that we just read. That's how we know that he is not referring to the church in no way. So these passages that we just read do not refer to the church. They are not talking about the church whatsoever. Jesus said, I came. He's referring to himself. He's referring to his ministry, his assignment from the Father, which was to be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior. That was his ministry and his purpose. Now, the goal and the purpose of the church is different. The church is to be the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And we're going to get into that a little later and, and really explain that, what it truly means to be the body of Christ. But here in these passages, Jesus is not referring to the church in any way. So to take that these passages and say that this means that the church is to be some type of spiritual hospital is to take the word of God out of context to totally miss what Jesus is saying here. And he knew that this would happen. That's why he told him in Matthew to go and learn what this means. And he even helped him out a little bit because in the B part of verse 13, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. It's God holding back what we truly deserve. Because the word of God says in Romans chapter three that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard of perfection. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat, everybody. All of humanity is in a sinful, fallen state before God. That happened through Adam's disobedience. When Adam disobeyed God in the garden, 
and did what God told him not to do, it brought about the curse of sin and death, which fell not just on humanity, but it fell on all of creation. That's why everything in creation dies. Plants, trees, uh, uh, birds, dogs, cats, everything is under the curse of sin. But let's do this. While we're talking about it, let, let's flip to 1 John chapter 3. Because we're talking about the purpose of the church, the purpose and the call of the church. But here in this passage, in Matthew chapter 9, it's talking about the purpose of the Christ. Jesus is talking about his ministry, why he came. And he tells us here in 1 John chapter 3, his call and purpose. So let's start reading at verse 4. We're in 1 John, not St. John, but 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. So in other words, sin is a breaking of God's law. The God of creation, the true and the living God is righteous and holy. And anything outside of that is lawlessness or sin. So this is what it's saying here. That sin is lawlessness. Verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Now we're talking about Christ. We're talking about Jesus and his ministry. So here in verse 6 he says whoever abides in him does not sin. It says, whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He's saying it here again. Man, I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to understand what I'm saying. I want you to understand my purpose and my call. I don't want you to be deceived about what's going on, about why I came, about my mission and my purpose here on earth. He says in verse 7, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous that word practice is very very key in verse 7 because it explains to us what he meant in verse 6 when he said whoever abides in me does not sin because we just like we said we are all under the curse of sin but what he meant is that he who abides in him does not practice, does not live a lifestyle of sin. You see, when you practice something, you're working at it. And you're working at it for the purpose of getting better. But what he said is that he who abides in him does not live a sinful lifestyle where you are working at lawlessness, where it is your practice to be lawless or sinful. It is your lifestyle. Now let's continue reading. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. In other words, he who practices that sinful lifestyle is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he may destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin or does not practice a lifestyle of sinning. For his seed, whose seed? God's seed, remains in him and he cannot 
sin or he cannot practice or live a lifestyle of sinning because he has been born of God. Now, when we cross-reference this with Romans chapter 5, where it talks about how death entered the world through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, and spread to all men because all have sinned, then we can better understand the free gift of God's grace that we receive through Christ. And this is why Jesus talked about being born again in John chapter 3. That is one of the beautiful things I love so much about the Word of God, how it all ties together. I mean, the New Testament explains the Old Testament. The Old Testament predates and prophesies about the New Testament, and it's all tied together as God's revelation to mankind. Amen? Well, we're going to be right back after the break and finish up our discussion for the day. Hello. Oh, hello, God. I'm so glad you called. I have some really tough finals coming up, and I could sure use some extra wisdom. Also, I'm still trying to find an inexpensive car. Do you think you could arrange something? Are your prayers just shopping lists for God to fill out? Is that God on the line? Yeah. Tell him we need a miracle for the rent money this month. Oh, okay. Uh, God, our funds are low, and any help you could provide... Did you mention the car? Yeah, I told him. Anything else? Yeah, my date this Saturday night. I'd like it to turn out nice. And Bob is going out. Uh, don't let Bob make a fool out of himself again. Did you tell him? Oh, yeah. Mention to him that I'm failing birdwatching 101. I need a hand. I'm not gonna tell... How can you fail birdwatching? Jesus told us to bring our needs and concerns to him, but he also taught us to pray. Father, thy will be done. So that was God on the line, huh? What, what do you want? I don't know. I didn't ask. Another message from Lifeline Productions, located on the web at lifelinepro.com. Hey, Pastor Elliot here. Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? Well, Anchor is the fastest and easiest way to go. And the best thing about it is totally free. Anchor provides creative tools to help you with everything from recording to editing your podcast by using your computer or even your smartphone. Not only that, Anchor will distribute your podcast so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And guess what? You can even make money with no minimal listenership. So Anchor is everything you need for your podcast and more. So download the free Anchor app today. Just go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back. Welcome back. want to encourage you, as always, to share the podcast with your friends, your family, those that you're in fellowship with, and let them know that there is a podcast that's all about rightfully dividing the word of truth so we can expel all misconceptions of Christianity. And this will actually be our last episode of 2019. The holidays are getting ready to gear up. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, all that good stuff. So this will be our last episode for this year. And God's willing, we will see y'all in 2020. This thing is winding up. I like the way Jan Markell with Olive Tree Ministries says, a lot of people like to say, Things are just falling apart, and they look at the chaos and the violence and the, and just all this, the political uproar and, and social injustice and everything that's going on in the world, and they say, man, the world is just falling apart. 
But I like the way Jan Markell says it. She says, it's not falling apart. The world is actually falling into place because the word of God already tells us what would happen in the last days. So actually, things are not falling apart. But when you read the word of God, you see that things are actually falling into place. So God's willing, we will see y'all in 2020. We got some great topics as always lined up. We're going to go even deeper into uh, into the word of God and talk about a lot of good topics. I know one of the series that I got lined up is called Death, Hell, and the Grave. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about death and, and what all of that means from a biblical perspective. So stay tuned because 2020, God's willing, man, we're going in and uh, we're going to really expel some of these misconceptions that are out there concerning the faith. So with that being said, let's get right back in to our discussion talking about the purpose and the call of the church. And, and earlier we was talking about the scriptures where Jesus said that he didn't come to call the well or the righteous, but he came for the sick. And he actually told him in verse 13 to go and learn what this means. So let's do just that. Let's break this down and actually see what Jesus was talking about here. Now, remember, he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious rulers of his day. And they were the ones that he constantly got into it with because they did not believe that he was who he said he was. They did not believe that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. They just thought, you know, he was Joseph's son. He was just another dude from the streets of Nazareth claiming to be something that he wasn't. But they couldn't refute the signs and the wonders that he was doing. They knew it was something about him. They knew that he was from God. They just didn't want to acknowledge it and accept it because he was calling them out on their sin. That's why Jesus would always say stuff like a great light has shined upon you, but you reject it because your deeds are evil or your deeds are dark. So this is the crowd that Jesus was talking to, and they were questioning some of the things that Jesus was doing. And one of the things that they was questioning here was the fact that he and his disciples had come over to Matthew's house for this dinner, for this feast. And it's, it's funny how people can look at you sideways and, and question you about what you're doing while at the same time, they're doing it too. <laughs> I mean, the, the Pharisees, they, they at the same dinner. They're there also. But they're questioning Jesus and questioning the disciples of Jesus of, you know, why, why, why your teacher here, you know, with these tax collectors and sinners? Well, why are y'all there? <laughs> I mean, people do that. It's, it's crazy. But the type of people that do that are self-righteous people. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said that he did not come for the righteous. How do we know that? Because we know, according to Romans chapter 3, that no one <laughs> is righteous in and of themselves. Romans 3 says that, that our righteousness, in other words, our attempts to be made right before God through our own human effort and will 
It's like filthy rags. So him saying that he didn't come for the righteous or for the well, when he was talking about, he was saying that he did not come for those who think that they are righteous or they are well in God's sight through their own human effort and will. And this is what the Pharisees and scribes thought. They thought that by observing the law, by keeping the law, by keeping all of the Old Testament feasts and rules and regulations that were passed down through Moses, that that made them right with God. It didn't. It didn't make Moses and them right with God back then. It only covered sin. And that's why the priest of the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant had to annually offer sacrifice continually for the sins of the people because the blood of the other animals that they sacrificed can only cover temporarily, can serve as a covering or a temporary covering for sin, a temporary sacrifice for sin. But when Jesus came, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. That's why he offered Himself, his blood as the ultimate sacrifice to not only cover sin, but to actually take away sin, which is why he said in Matthew 9, 13, he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, what God requires is not the, the sacrifices of the old covenant, but God desires mercy. He wants to show us mercy. And remember, I said that mercy it's God not giving us what we deserve. We all deserve judgment. Why? Because we've all broken God's law. We are lawbreakers. The word of God says it like this. It says that by nature, in Ephesians chapter 2, by nature we are objects of God's wrath. In other words, our nature, because of Adam's disobedience, is sinful. We have a sinful nature. You don't have to teach a child how to lie and how to do wrong. It's just in us. It's our nature. Our nature is sinful. Remember what we read in 1 John about those who keep on sinning, those who practice or live a lifestyle of sin. That is because of their nature, their sin nature. But Jesus said in the B part of verse 13 in Matthew chapter 9, he said, I did not come to call the righteous, meaning the self-righteous, those who think that they're good with God, that, hey, man, God, you know, is a loving God. He's a forgiving God. So, hey, he's going to forgive me. I'm good. As long as I try my best and God knows my heart and we all make mistakes, ain't nobody perfect, you know, all the usual excuses for not repenting and getting right with God, which brings up another misconception that people tend to relate when it comes to these verses that we've been reading in Matthew and in uh, Mark and Luke, which is this notion that Jesus hung out with sinners, that he basically enjoyed the company or the fellowship of the ungodly over the religious, over even over his disciples. And that's just biblically inaccurate. Mind you, Jesus was a people person. He loved people. But the reason Jesus loved on people 
was that his whole mission and goal was to call people out of darkness back into right relationship and fellowship with God. Remember, the scribes and the Pharisees' whole hang-up with Jesus was that he was in the company of tax collectors and who they deemed as sinners or the ungodly, or we would say today, worldly folk. And the tripped out thing about it is they thought, just like a lot of people today think, that he was there just to hang out, just to kick it. Like I said earlier, preferred the company of unbelievers or those that were of the world. But that was far from it. That's why Jesus said, man, go and understand what this means. Understand why I am here. I'm not here just to hang out, just to enjoy myself and have a good time. No, Jesus was here on assignment. He had a mission. He had a ministry. He had a purpose and a calling for being here. And he didn't have to mingle or engage or join in with the ungodly to do that. Jesus did life with people. Everywhere Jesus went, he ministered to people right where they was at. When he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he was coming down from the mountain, or he was walking along uh, uh, the road to Damascus, or whatever the case may be, Jesus ministered to people in everyday life. That was his mission. His ministry was what he did with his disciples. He had fellowship. Many times in the, in the Gospels, you see where Jesus was reclining at the table with his disciples and he was speaking to them. Or even when he was speaking to the multitudes, he would always come back and pull his disciples to the side <laughs> and really break it down to them in detail. That was his ministry. He ministered to his disciples, but his mission was to the world to be the savior. But a lot of times we get it twisted and we get it confused thinking that, man, Jesus hung out with sinners. Even the passage in John chapter 8, you know, where, where the woman was caught in the act of adultery and the Pharisees came to Jesus to try to test him and, and trip him up to find a uh, reason to accuse him and arrest him. But it said that Jesus, he didn't even acknowledge them when they came and they brought the woman. They said he kneeled down and started to write in the ground. And then they say he stood up and he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And it said one by one, they began to leave as they were convicted of their sin. And it's not implied in the scripture, but I would, would venture to say that what he probably wrote on the ground probably could have been the Ten Commandments. And as he wrote, wrote them down one by one, one through ten, the Pharisees, saw what he was writing, and got convicted because they knew that they had broke every one of those commandments. So they had no, no grounds of stoning because they were guilty themselves. So they dropped their stones and, and they walked away. And the word says that Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, he said, where are your accusers? Where are those that condemn you? And she said, they all gone. And Jesus said, well, you know what? I don't condemn you either. But he did not stop there. A lot of times we want to cut it off right there and say, see, you know, Jesus didn't condemn nobody for their sin. No, he didn't come to condemn us. But he did came to call us out of sin. You know what? Let's flip there because I want to show you this. 
Let's go to John chapter 8. I want to show you this because I don't want y'all know me. Y'all know how we do it here on flipping pages. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to read it for yourself. Let's go to John chapter 8. And we're going to start reading at verse 9. I paraphrase the first part of that, but if you want to go back and read the whole thing, you can, starting at verse 1, but we're going to pick it up at verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. But notice what he said after that, the B part of verse 11. He said, Neither do I condemn you, but he didn't stop there. He also said, Go and sin no more. In other words, repent. Come up out of that adultery. Stop doing what you're doing. That was Jesus' whole ministry. That was his whole message. You know, when he first started his ministry, after he was baptized by John, it said from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And his message was simple. He preached repentance and the kingdom of God. It didn't matter who he was with. It didn't matter where he was at. That was his message to mankind, repentance and faith. But a lot of folk try to make it seem like, you know, Jesus just hung out with sinners. He didn't like religious folk. He didn't like church folk. He hung out with sinners and the ungodly. But if we just simply read the word of God, we would see that that's not true. I mean, we didn't all heard the phrase that bad company corrupts good morals. And believe it or not, this one... It's actually in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but whoever keeps company with fools will be destroyed. So Jesus didn't just hang out with foolish folk. He didn't do that. And if he was ever in the company of the ungodly, it was for the sole purpose of calling them to repentance. Psalms 1 and 1 says, and this is in the New Living Translation, it says, Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice or the ways of the wicked, or stand around, in other words, who don't just fellowship, just hang out with sinners. Or join in with mockers. Mockers are those who are disrespectful and rude, scornful. But they delight is in the law of the Lord, in the word of God. And they meditate on it day and night. These are the people of God. Those that love the word of God. Those that love fellowship with other believers. And the saints of God. And the saints of God are those who make up the church which is what we've been talking about for the last couple of episodes, the purpose and the call of the church. Those who have put their faith and their trust in Christ, those who have repented and turned from sin, they are the church. Now, another term for the church is called the body of Christ. 
And you notice in scripture, you never see the phrase, the body of Jesus, when referring to the church. It's always the body of Christ. The reason for this is that Jesus was one man. He was God in the flesh. The Bible says he was fully man, fully God. Jesus, the Christ. I know we like to say Jesus Christ, but it was actually Jesus the Christ. See, Jesus was the man, Christ was his calling. Unbeknownly, Christ was not Jesus' last name. <laughs> and I know some people think that. They think that Jesus' last name was Christ, but it wasn't. In those times, in those Bible times, they didn't have last names like we do today. Like my last name is Williams. You know, your last name may be Johnson or Jones or, or whatever the case is. But in Bible times, they didn't have last names. They defined people by their region or by their occupation. You know, that's why it was, you, you heard terms like Saul of Tarsus. Even Jesus, before he started his ministry, he was Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because there was other people named Jesus that was around, but there was only one Jesus that lived in Nazareth. So that's why they called him Jesus of Nazareth. After he started his ministry, he began to be known as Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one was anointed to be the Messiah or the Savior. So when the word of God speaks about the church as being the body of Christ, it's talking about and referring to the group of people that have been set apart, that have been called to operate under the anointing and authority of the Christ or to carry on the ministry of Jesus in the earth. And we're getting ready to wrap up things for this particular episode like I say, which is our last episode of 2019. But let's flip to one more scripture talking about the church, the body of Christ. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to close things out with this scripture here talking about the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start reading at verse 12. And I'm reading in the New Living Translation. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Greeks, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit Verse 14, yes, the body has many different parts. And for the sake of time, we're going to drop down to verse 26. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Verse 28, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, and those who speak in unknown tongues. This is the body of Christ. 
many different parts making up one body of believers. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents and different assignments from God. But collectively, we make up the body of Christ, the church. Amen? Amen. Well, once again, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the podcast this year. It's been a great 2019. I want to thank everyone who has tuned in to the podcast. I want to thank you for sharing the podcast with your people. God's willing, you will hear from us in 2020. Like I said, we have some great topics lined up and we will definitely continue to expel all misconceptions of Christianity by rightfully dividing the word of truth. I'm Pastor Elliot Sean Williams wishing you and your family a happy holiday season. Enjoy yourself, enjoy your family, and most of all, enjoy the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of Truth. Until 2020, God's willing, be blessed. Flipping pages, flipping pages, flipping pages.